0: Good evening and welcome to another exciting episode of That's Truth. I'm Nathan Owens. Sitting across the desk from me here in the studio of the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse is Pastor David Murphy. Good evening, Pastor. Good evening, Brother Nathan, and good evening to those who are listening tonight. Whether you're listening online at www.radiolighthouse.org or you're listening on 1160 AM, 92.3 FM or on Facebook Live, welcome and thank you for joining us. Pastor, before we get to our topic for tonight, we have a question that came in this week from a listener in Marble Hill, Antigua. And the question is: In Revelation chapter nine, verses one and two, who is the angel they are referring to? And I'll read the verses in question: Revelation nine, one and two, and the fifth angel and the fifth angel sounded. And I saw a star fall from heaven onto the earth, and to him was given the key of the bottomless pit, and he opened the bottomless pit, and there arose a smoke out of the pit, as the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. And again, the question is, in those verses, who is the angel there referring to? Well,
1: um, clearly in the passage there's no particular designation for the angel uh, that opens the bottomless pit. But um, there are some clues, I believe, that uh, would help us to understand. The first thing is uh, that this fifth angel uh, is mentioned in verse number one, and the fifth angel is sounded. This is the fifth angel that opens the seven seals. And while he sounds this um, trumpet, he said i saw a star fall from heaven let the bible interpret the the scriptures and if you go to Revelation chapter uh, 1 um, you'll find that there in that passage in verse number 20 uh, the mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand the seven golden candlesticks the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches so if we let revelation interpret revelation let bible interpret it, uh, the bible clearly the star here is referring to an angel uh, what angel is this one that has given the key to the bottomless the pit? There are virtually two interpretations. Some people think that this is Satan, that God is directing uh, Satan. Remember that even though Satan is powerful, he's not all-powerful. He's under the direction of God. Uh, just like in the case of Job, he had limits placed on him, and he was given permission to do certain things. But the reason why some people suspect that this is um, Satan is because it said, I, I saw a star fall from heaven and of course in luke chapter 10 verse 18 our lord talked about satan falling as lightning uh, from heaven so some people take that passage and relate it to this here in revelation think that this star that is given the key to the bottomless pit is uh, none other than satan himself uh, personally i um i think that this is just a, another angelic being that is given the key to open the bottomless pit to uh, call these demonic powers to, to be released. The reason why I say that, if you look at chapter 20 of the same book of Revelations and verse number 1, it says, And I saw an angel come down from heaven having the keys of the bottomless pit. Notice the same keys to the bottomless pit, this angel has it as well. So this seemed to be an angel directing, giving another angel the key to the bottomless pit who goes and open uh, and release these demonic powers that's referred to later in the chapter. So um, I don't think there's any definitive answer um, if you want to believe that this is uh, Satan giving the, the key to the bottomless pit to open for the demonic forces, uh, forces to come out. Uh, on the other hand, um, the fifth angel that opens the seals, he could have directed another angelic being to go and open the, the bottomless pit. Uh, either way, I think it's um, really we're not told specifically um, who this particular angel is. However, uh, if you read the chapter, which I think is far more important than who the angel is, you'll notice that um, these are certainly not normal locusts. If, if I might read for you what it says, And he opened the bottomless pit, and there arose a smoke out of the pit, as the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air was darkened by reason of the smoke of his pit and they came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth and upon them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power and it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass or the earth uh, neither any green thing neither any tree but unto those men but only those men uh, which have not the seal of god In their foreheads, and if you read chapter seven, you find that God seals a certain amount of Jewish people, 144,000 from each tribe, 12,000. That's another topic of discussion. But they're the ones that are protected. Um, But these um, these um, locusts that come from the bottomless pit, the only people that are shielded from their sting, uh, these ones that are sealed. Then verse number five said, "Unto them it was given that they should not kill them." But that they should torment them five months. And their torment was as the torment of a scorpion when he striketh a man. And in those days shall men seek death and shall not find it, and shall desire to die and shall not, uh, death shall flee from them. Clearly, uh, this is a time of extreme uh, torment. The Bible refers to this time of the tribulation period. It said there's never been, nor will there ever be a time of um, judgment like this. But the reason why I'm reading on into the chapter is because the description of these um, locusts, uh, clearly these are not normal um, locusts. The shape of it, in verse number seven, the shape of the locusts were like unto horses prepared unto battle, and on their heads were, as it were, crowns like gold, and their faces were the face of men. And they had hair as the hair of a woman, and the teeth were the teeth of lions. And they had breastplates, as it were, breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was the sound of chariots of many horses running to battle. And they had a tail uh, onto, like unto a serpent, and uh, these were stings in their tails, and their power was to hurt men five months. And they had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon. But in the Greek tongue, his name is Apollyon, which is destroyer. It seems that this one that is leading also comes out of the pit, and you're told that he's the king of the bottomless pit. So it would seem to me that these are probably demonic spirits that are being used in the end time uh, as part of God's judgment to torment men for five months. And that would be my interpretation of this particular passage. Um, I would say to the person who sent in the the question, um, just make sure that you are not going to be part of this um, destructive powers when God begins to punish the earth. I hope that you know Christ as your Savior, you trust Him as Lord, you're looking forward to the Lord's return. So, to answer your question, there's no definitive answer as to who this particular angel is. Some people interpret it to be Satan, others interpret it from an other angel has given a directive to go and open the bottom of the spirit to release the demonic powers who will torment
0: men for five months. Tonight on That's Truth, we're going to begin discussing what happens when we die. There are many ideas out there. There's annihilation. There's soul sleep. There's reincarnation. A study in the U.S. recently found that 21% of Protestants and 25% of Catholics agree with reincarnation. I found that is quite disturbing. Yes, it is. Uh, are our souls immortal, and is there justice after death? Now, Pastor, to start our discussion on what happens after death, I think we need to start by defining death. And that may seem kind of elementary, but let's start there and work into this, and we'll be discussing soul yeah. sleep and many topics. I think it's
1: an interesting topic uh, because <laughs> I think we all got to face that we're going to die someday. And mm-hmm. The older I get, the more conscious I am. Every single day I wake up, um, I am not too sure if I'm going to see the next day. So I live very conscious of my mortality. When it comes to the Scriptures, um, death in the Bible is not extinction. Uh, It is not in any way annihilation, and it doesn't mean that the person ceased to exist. In the biblical concept of death, there, there are three types of death that are mentioned in the Bible. There is spiritual death, and there is what you call physical death, and then there's eternal death. In each case, when the Bible talks about death, it has to do with separation. In the case of spiritual death, when Adam was told the day you eat the fruit, you're going to surely die, And Adam did die that day when he was separated from God, that is spiritual death. Adam did die physically again uh, later on when he died with his spirit separated from his body. And uh, the Bible talks about an eternal death when man who does not know Christ as Savior would be separated eternally from God in a place called hell. So the biblical concept of death is not cessation of existence it's not annihilation it has to do with the separation and at at physical death your body and your spirit separates and uh, we'll discuss of course what happens at death with your spirit and your body but i would just like to let the audience know that um, you can be absolutely sure that when you die or i die uh, that's not the end of us as a matter of fact we're going to enter a different world altogether it might be a new beginning uh, so for some of us, we beginning of uh, a time that we've never, ever weighed the consequences, very dire. For, for others who are believers, there's a place of comfort and joy uh, waiting us. But death is basically separation.
0: Now, why is there death? I mean, God, he's an all-powerful God, you would agree with that. So why didn't he create something that was a little bit more, an easier transition into the afterlife?
1: Well, I'm not too sure it was possible to create a, 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 something that is easier. Uh, the fact is that death thats come about as a result of sin. We would have not had death on planet Earth had there been no sin. Uh, but that's the consequences of sin. Um, when you sin and you separate from God, uh, you're separating from life. And uh, so that's the consequence. Um, that is something that, um, outside of Scripture... There's no other explanation of where death comes from, Um, but that's the biblical teaching that death is a product or the result of human rebellion and human sin. And, of course, the answer to that is life which comes through Jesus Christ when a person puts their faith and trust in Christ. So death is a result of sin. That's why we have death.
0: In just a minute, we're going to continue this topic, and we'll be discussing soul sleep But let me remind you that this is an interactive program. We want your questions. Uh, If you have a topic that you would like to suggest for another episode of That's Truth, we would love to hear it. You can call and be put live on the air, 1-268-462-7420. Or you can WhatsApp or text your question to 1-268-782-1454 or you can comment your question on Facebook Live. Pastor, what is soul sleep? I know we've touched on it a little bit as we've been discussing some of these different religions and their beliefs. Well, soul sleep
1: basically denies the
0: conscious existence
1: of the human spirit between death and resurrection. So a person who believes in soul sleep believes that when I die or you die or anybody dies, they are totally unconscious, they don't know what's happening, and they're awaiting the resurrection, but they're in a state of unconscious, unconsciousness. They've, they've, they, they no longer exist, uh, per se. Uh, that's what um, soul sleep is all about.
0: So they don't necessarily d- deny the resurrection?
1: No, it's not denial of the res- resurrection. Uh, it's a denial that between death and the resurrection, there's a cessation of existence where you are totally unconscious. Now, what that means... And they would have to define that. But what they're really uh, suggesting is that your personality is like neutralized. Uh, You're not a person any longer. You're waiting the, the resurrection to bring you back to life, to bring you back to consciousness. That is what soul sleep is all about. And does the Bible teach you? No, the Bible doesn't teach that. There are passages in the Bible, I must admit, especially when you go into the Old Testament. And this is the problem with people who hold the soul sleep. They would normally say that the Old Testament must be interpreted by the New Testament and that there is something called progressive revelation. If I might use an illustration, we believe in the Trinity, but you would find, you were not going to find the Trinity in its totality and its its full explanation in the Old Testament. You've got hints of it let us make man, let us go down and confound, uh, who shall go for us, Isaiah said. So there are hints that there is a plurality within the Godhead. But that is progressively revealed until we come into the New Testament, and then we begin as a Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So those that teach soul sleep normally get most of the teaching from the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, And that's a book, by the way, that. Uh, should not be a book that defines doctrine because Ecclesiastes is a time when Solomon is in search for meaning and purpose. He's going to what is called an eclipse in life. Uh, he has become a pessimist. He's lost his faith and he's trying to find his way back to meaning and purpose. And he's speaking as a man under the sun. He's talking as a natural man, looking at life and observing life and coming to certain conclusions. So, what he has stated sometimes in in the book of Ecclesiastes must not define doctrine. Uh, We have to decipher uh, what is he saying. Is this is a man looking at life under the sun, not looking at from a man of faith? Until finally Solomon comes to the end where he says, "Here's the conclusion. This is the conclusion I've come to after going through this journey to find meaning and purpose. Uh, What serve God." and keep his commandments. Mm. So you've got to understand what the purpose of Ecclesiastes It cannot be used to define doctrine. And even if you found a passage in the Old Testament or Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon that would seem to create a question whether or not man exists afterwards, you still can't base your doctrine on that. You have to come to the, the because progressively until you come to the New Testament, hear what Christ has to say about it, hear what Paul's has to say about it because this is the finality of revelation and the mistake that most cults do including the uh, Seventh-day Adventists, which believe in, in uh, soul sleep. They take uh, about eight passages from the Old Testament, most of them from Ecclesiastes, and they try to base their theology on, on, on death and, and, uh, and the soul based on those, 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 those uh, particular books. Rather than uh, understand—and and by the way, they would normally tell you that Revelation is progressive. And that you should interpret the Old Testament by the New Testament, because the New Testament gives you fullness of light. Mm -hmm. But nonetheless, they still hold to these verses that would seem to them to teach that um, man is unconscious, without taking into consideration the whole purpose of the book of Ecclesiastes.
0: So if I'm understanding you right, you're going back to some of those key references or key ideas that you discussed the last couple of weeks or last few weeks when talking about how to properly interpret the bible
1: yeah exactly but again i, I know um, adventists would admit that there's a progressive principle interpretation my problem is and again this is this is where uh, as i said before for a person to start a new movement new religious movement teaching some new doctrine some some new teaching I would never follow a person who does not know the Greek language nor the Hebrew language if he's trying to establish something that is completely new and novel. Because a lot of times the Hebrew grammar and the Greek grammar would clear up a lot of the issues. A lot of these people who founded these cults, all they knew was the English Bible. They have no background in theology, no background in uh, um, study of Greek or Hebrew. And they come to something, and you would know and I would know that no particular translation of the Bible is perfect. And that is why sometimes, when you have an issue with a verse that seems to contradict another verse, the first thing you run to is the Greek grammar to see if there's any way that you can explain it without. Because the principle that the Bible does not contradict the Bible is one of the basic principles of hermeneutics. Mm-hmm. So, when it seems to so contradict it, one of the ways it would unravel that contradiction is a familiarity with the, the Greek and the Hebrew language and see exactly how it is used. That would bring some clarity. And I think that's a mistake. Like, what did Ellen G. White know? She didn't even have a high school education. What did uh, um, Joseph Smith know? But couldn't you say the same thing about uh, Peter? Yeah, but Peter is speaking on the inspiration.
0: That's the but, but Ellen G. White wasn't speaking on her inspiration? She claimed
1: to be. And uh, as I have said, I would challenge any person who was who really, really interested in finding out what she really what kind of person she was. Read the book, The White Lay, and you will see clearly that all of the writings that she said was given directly by, by an angel. That's what she said, an angel gave her all this teaching. Uh, If you read the white lie, you see that's not true. you see that she plagiarized and took passages, and the the white lie would give you her writings, and parallel along that would give you where her sources are. That's the problem with her, claiming to be a prophet, speaking authentically from God through an angelic witness telling her these things, when in truth and fact, she's borrowing from other books and claiming and giving um, the Holy Spirit endorsement as though she got this teaching directly from Scripture. That's where the problem comes in.
0: You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse broadcasting from the island of Antigua on Tuesday evenings. We still have... An hour left in the program, a little over an hour left in the program. Plenty of time for you to send in or call in with your question. If you'd like to call in and be put live on the air, the phone number is one 462 7420 Or if you'd rather WhatsApp or text your question, send it to one 782 1454 Pastor why does it what are the let dan- me, uh, yeah go well, ahead
1: Nathan let me just show you that even in the same book that is used by the Adventists um, to teach th- this soul sleep doctrine uh, the book of Ecclesiastes uh, if you look there and read for me um, Ecclesiastes twelve seven, 7 uh, Ecclesiastes 12, chapter 12 verse 7 and
0: verse 7 Says, Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, uh-huh. and the Spirit shall return unto God who gave it. Now, I mean, clearly, that's a very
1: clear statement by Solomon that the dust returned the physical body, but the Spirit goes where? Unto God. Back unto God. I mean, that is so obvious. I'm just showing that even within the book of Ecclesiastes, which they use substantially to prove that there's no conscious existence afterwards, that they say that the person doesn't exist, everything ceases. Uh, it's saying here the body goes into the grave, the spirit goes back to the be with the Lord, which is, as we go into the New Testament, we now have fullness of knowledge absent from the body, present with the Lord, mm-hmm. see? And Paul said, I have a desire to depart and to be with the Lord, you see? So it's even there that death is not cessation. But I'm just using that to say to you that that's the main book that they would use in that regard. But even Ecclesiastes is an indication there that the spirit leaves the body, goes back to be with the Lord.
0: All right, so we're discussing soul sleep. Why is it, what are some of the dangers of believing in soul sleep? Am I going to go down a slippery slope if I do, or is it one of those Christian gray areas?
1: Well, the corollary of uh, soul sleep is annihilation. And that is where the Adventists believe in annihilation. They don't believe in an eternal torment. Uh, JW doesn't believe in eternal torment so either. So
0: annihilation of the wicked.
1: No, annihilation of the, the unsaved. Of unsaved, the unsaved, yeah. yeah, yeah. The total annihilation. So that is, that, is, that is part of, that follows as a result of believing in soul sleep. Because if when I die now, my, I go, my sleep goes to so, soul, I don't know anything, when I'm judged, you can see why well, I end up now being totally annihilated and I don't exist. That follows naturally from believing in soul sleep. If you believe that when a person dies that the the physical life ceases, but the spiritual life continues, then you 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 uh, you would hold to the biblical doctrine that there's a day of accountability and that really in truth and fact the spirit doesn't die. See, So if you believe in soul sleep, its inevitable that you would embrace annihilation, that ultimately the wicked will be extinguished and uh, there will be no eternal punishment for anybody um, that that would be the natural thing that would follow.
0: What do we mean by the soul?
1: well, if you check the scripture um, the Hebrew word is nephesh and the Greek word is suki. Um, this spirit is raush in the old testament and puma in the new testament so they're two different words for soul and spirit if you go through the new testament you'll find that uh, nefesh and raush uh, frequently refer to the principle of life and you'll find that even animals are said to have souls okay you find that uh, etc in other places you'll also find that it is referring to the intellectual and the spiritual part of human nature So the soul is not defined in the Old Testament. You have to go, again, I repeat, you have to follow progressive revelation. More is given, more is given as we go
0: on, and God reveals more and more and more. But wouldn't that put the, the individuals in the Old Testament time period at such a great disadvantage as far as whether or not they would choose salvation? Well... They knew that uh, even from,
1: I'll show you later on, that even in the Old Testament, they believed that when a person died, the spirit went to be with God. i show you that even in the book of Genesis, okay, the spirit departed and went with the Lord. So they did believe that the spirit departed and went with the Lord. But again, I, I want to repeat that in the Old Testament, people would be judged according to the light that they had. Okay, And we need to bear that in mind, that God deals with people according to how much revelation he has given to them. Uh, and so we have far more knowledge today, far more revelation. We can be ha- held far more comfortable. But that's how God has dealt with man. As man has developed and man has progressed, God has given man further revelation. As man responded to that revelation, God has given further, light, further, light, until finally, God sent His Son in His own in His, his person to give fullness of revelation. So, so I, I'm I'm saying that that um, you cannot come to a definitive conclusion about the soul by just going to the Old Testament. Nothing, no doctrine you can ever build you can ever come to a definitive solution except you go into the New Testament. The New Testament gives a flood of light on a lot of truth that is not clear in the Old Testament. That's the basic principle of progressive revelation. So you can't build the the doctrine of the soul uh, from the Old Testament. You've got to go into the New Testament and see exactly what's involved there. But basically we would say that the soul is the self-consciousness that will be involved with your your emotions your intellect and your knowledge and your will those three emotions will and knowledge Uh, we would say that the spirit is your god conscious part of you and then we would say that your physical body is your world conscious part of you where you've got the five senses that you communicate with the world we will show you later that um, the Bible makes it clear that man is a tripartite being. Um, Paul talks about that, by the way, in uh, Thessalonians, First Thessalonians chapter five, verse twenty-three. If you would like to turn there for just a moment, Nathan. First
0: Thessalonians five twenty-three. I'm gonna test my memory of where the Bible the books of the Bible are. Uh, I okay. See. <laughs> Second uh, let me Second Thessalonians. First Thessalonians, first Thessalonians five yes. twenty three. Okay, I am almost there. First Thessalonians chapter five and verse twenty three says, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray God, your holy your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the Coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So clearly, man is a tripartite being. Yeah. You've got a body, you've got a the soul, and you've got a sp- spirit. spirit. And
1: Paul is praying for the preservation, not just of the body, but of the soul and the spirit. And then there's an interesting verse also in Hebrews chapter 12, uh, f- chapter 4, verse 12. Where it talks about the word of God is quick and powerful and sharp and word, Dividing asunder the soul and the spirit. So while man has a material part called the body, he has a spiritual part as well. That spiritual part is uh, is, is, is bipartite. In other words, it's body and soul. That clearly is what the Bible teaches. Um, And by the way, um, that's why in the Bible you find reference to soul, you find reference to the spirit, you find reference to the body. You find in the Old Testament, reference to the body, reference to the soul, and reference to the spirit. But we weren't too sure what all of that meant until you come to the New Testament now that we have a clarity on this whole thing, that man is definitely a tripartite being, body, soul, and spirit.
0: So if my soul is the Mm self-consciousness, the will, knowledge, and emotions, Mm -hmm. and my body is my five senses, what is my spirit? Your spirit
1: is your God-consciousness where you can communicate with God in, in, in terms of your spirit. That's your spiritual part of you. That's the part that is, was, is dead in the natural man, mm-hmm. and ye have ye quickened who were dead in trespassing sins, and that is why a person who is not a Christian has no real desire for God, and God is normally seen as an inconvenience and a killjoy, and who interrupts and disturbs his life and makes him miserable. God is a killjoy. Uh, it takes when a person comes to faith in Jesus Christ, his whole attitude towards God changes, and that is where now he begins to build a relationship with God as a result of his faith and trust in Christ. But generally speaking, a person who is not a believer uh, has no desire to submit to God's Word, to submit to God's will. He wants to be autonomous. He wants to be independent, do his own thing, live his own life, control his own, own resources, go where he wants to, do what he wants to. He doesn't want God telling him to do anything, basically. That's the natural man. But at conversion, that changes where we you know we desire to do God's will.
0: Now, I've heard some people debate that man is only two parts, and I think they combine the soul and the spirit there, uh-huh. so you have the body and then you have the soul and the spirit. Is that a, an issue where you would spend a lot of time bickering or going back and forth over that, or that's not real, real important?
1: Well, I, I'm not too sure. You know, if you read the theological books, especially um, Burcroft, if you read um, Strauss, uh, they talk about a physical nature, uh, what you call a material part of man and the immaterial part, the visible and invisible. And they would combine the soul and the spirit as the immaterial part. But they do re- make a distinction between the soul and the spirit. Okay. It's just that it's as though the soul and the spirit are somehow incorporated and when the spirit comes within the in contact with the body, the soul is like what I don't want to say that it holds it together. Basically, the spirit and the and the body acts as the intermediary between there. But I wouldn't make a, an issue. Where I would make an issue is when a man says we don't have a spiritual nature, or we don't have a immaterial a, a part. All all we got is made of atoms and. Uh, we are material beings and that there's no spiritual part of us that will exist afterwards because I'll show you later that Christ makes it very clear that the body and the soul is two completely different things he said fear fear not him who can destroy the body but who can't destroy the soul see in other words clearly he makes a distinction between the body which can be destroyed by man but the soul which can only God can destroy if he wanted to fear him so there's a clear distinction between the body and the soul uh, but that's where I would have my argument with people. Some people are bipartite. In other words, they say it's body and spiritual nature and physical nature. And then some people say that it's tripartite: body, soul, and spirit. For me, Thessalonians settles the question that God will preserve your body, your soul, and the spirit. And also Hebrews chapter 4, that the Word of God could divide a Sunday even the soul and the spirit. But clearly the idea of dividing the Holy Spirit would indicate that it is so closely uh, to get together that only the Word of God can, can kind of divide that. It's it almost indistinguishable. God' Word is so powerful and so unique. It has the capacity to divide that. So there's a clear connection between the two.
0: You're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. The name of the program is That's Truth. The voice that you're hearing is that of Pastor Dr. David Murphy. If you're enjoying his teaching, you will likely also enjoy his Sunday evening program called Sermons of Grace. It airs at 8:15 on Sunday evenings, Sermons of Grace, and he is going through the book of Romans in great detail. I believe on air he is currently in the book in chapter 4 maybe on the book of Romans. If you would like to hear him or meet him in person, you can visit Grace Baptist Church in Gamble's Terrace, Antigua. The church is located on Rowan Henry Street. Sunday school is Sundays at 9 a.m., service at 10 a.m., and then again at 7 p.m., and Thursday evenings at 7 p.m., rotating Bible study and prayer meeting. Again, you are welcome to visit Grace Baptist Church in Gamble's Terrace, Antigua. Pastor, as we're talking about uh, what happens after we die, this is actually an area where I have some questions, because there's a lot of different words that are used, some in the Old Testament more than they are in the New Testament, like uh, Hades or Sheol. I believe that's used a yeah. lot in Psalms, if I remember right. Um, what is meant by that? Is that the same as hell? No, it's not the same as hell. Um
1: Sometimes it's unfortunate that um, we do translate that in some verses in the Bible as hell. But the the proper word is Sheol, and in the New Testament, the equivalent, the synonym for that is is, uh, Hades. Gehenna is the proper name for hell. That's talked about in the book of Revelation, and our Lord dealt with that. Um, But Sheol is equivalent to Hades. Uh, so it's the, one is the Hebrew word in the Old Testament and one is the New Testament word Hades uh, throughout the Bible whether the Old Testament or the New Testament when people died they went to a place they either went to Sheol in the Old Testament or Hades in the New Testament but they went to a place that's my point here of people who equate death with the grave the Hades is not the grave Hades is not Sheol People who died, uh, their bodies were buried, but they went to a place. So, uh, and, and again, this is not just New Testament. No, this is Old Testament teaching as well that they, they went to a place. So, in the Old Testament, Sheol signifies the abode of the departed spirits. And as I said, correspond to the Hades or the underworld in the uh, New Testament. And um, the there's a word for, another word in the Bible that refers to the grave, in the Old Testament, sometimes that word that word is shagarth. Uh, sometimes it's translated pit in Job chapter 32 verse 18 and verse 24. Sometimes it's translated grave in Job chapter 32 verse 22. And sometimes it's translated the word corruption, the body corrupting. Psalms chapter 16 verse 16, uh, um, Psalm 49 verse 9, Psalm 16, and uh, Jonah 2:6. Uh, so, clearly, there are two different words, one, Hades, and one referring to the grave. But when people died, they went to Hades, or they went to Sheol, indicating quite clearly that though the physical body is in the grave, the real person has gone someplace. I mean, that's the teaching of the Old Testament
0: as well. So, if it's not hell, then is it heaven? No, this is the thing. So, it's like a waiting room. Uh, it's <laughs> like an
1: intermediate position. Now, remember, we've got to distinguish what happens to death before Christ, and what happens with us after Christ's death for the believer Okay. Uh, for example I think the clearest explanation of this is in Luke chapter 16 where our Lord uh, talked about Lazarus and the rich man and uh, remember our Lord is the one that gave this teaching some people say it's a parable I don't dispute it's a parable or not. Some people say it's not a parable, it's a real event. It, 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 the thing is immaterial. The question is this, what is he teaching? Some people say it's not a parable because he named people's names and he would not normally name parables, don't give names, etc. I agree with that. But my point is, whether you think it's a parable or you think it's a, a real, genuine, authentic story that happened, the point is this, what does he teach? Basically, teaches this. He teaches that... There are people who know the Lord that will go to a place of comfort. It was called by the Jews, Abraham's bosom. People who did not know the Lord go to another place. It's called Hades. That's the word hell. there, Hades. He lifted up his eyes. Hades, that's the word Hades. So prior to our Lord's ascension and his death and his crucifixion, this was the intermediary place where people went. Um, a person who was unsaved went to this part of torment in Hades. A person who was saved, uh, who believed in God, went to what is called that comfort part of Abraham's bosom. That is the intermediary um, place where people went before. And again, it's our Lord has given us the teaching as to what happens. Now remember that one is comforted, but the Bible says one is tormented. They are conscious he is able to see Abraham and uh, loves us being comforted. He remembers he has five brothers on earth who he needs to get the message to lest he come to this place of torment. He is thirsty, he's aware he needs water, and uh, he can communicate. He's even praying that his brothers would not come into this place of torment. So he's conscious. And he has emotions. And he has emotions, and he has feelings. Yeah. I'm, I'm tormented in this flame. Yeah. So, and again, who's teaching this? jesus it's jesus i mean i either accept that whether i say it's a parable or not or what i say it's a true story or not the important what is he teaching and he's teaching about what happens to a person after they die i mean that is a uh, i i can't have, i have a problem why people have difficulty comprehending that teaching and again it's immaterial whether you say it's a parable or it's a story because a parable teaches something a story teaches something and clearly what he's teaching here is what happens after death for the person who knows God
0: for the person who does not know God but then what about for those after the uh, no? That the is death where, of Christ
1: that is now where we understand that you remember that when Christ was uh, raised from the dead and Mary saw him she grabbed onto his feet and the Lord said uh, don't touch me because I'm not ascended with my fathers, yet mm-hmm. the whole work of redemption had to be complete, which has brought about a tremendous change, not only in the universe, but also in this intermediate. If you read Ephesians, it said that he led captively captive. So what it says, and also says that he descended into Hades, right? What is believed, and I hold to this, is that all those saints that were there in this intermediate stage, until Christ had fully completed his work of redemption, now he led those captive, what's called captive, and he took them to him to glory. And now we read that when a believer dies, absent from the body is what now? Present with the Lord. Lord, So his redemption has brought about even a transformation in this intermediary stage. So the believer no longer goes to what is called Abraham's bosom. He goes to, to be with the Lord in paradise, third heaven. Right, But again, this we only know this because we have further revelation that the Apostle Paul now gives us on these matters. And that's why I say that we cannot build a doctrine on any Old Testament verse or Old Testament passage. We need the fullness of New Testament revelation to shed the light so we have greater clarity on these matters.
0: What about the unsaved who were in Hades? Well, they're still there. Okay, they're still they're there. They're still
1: there. It's just a believer that was, he said he led captively captive in the book of Ephesians. That would mean that he t- took those that belong. That's why he went down to Hades, basically. But those that are lost are still in that place because they're not saved. Uh, and um, so a person who dies outside of Jesus Christ today, he goes to Hades. He's just like the rich man who's being tormented. So he doesn't go directly to hell. Well, no, he has his day of coming, which is called Gehenna now, okay. when the Bible talks about we'll be resurrected, and then, uh, uh, sorry, Revelation chapter 20, we'll all stand before God and give an account. That is Gehenna
0: proper that is coming ultimately. Okay, and, but the, the Hades that they go to the, is a place of torment. Of
1: course, but that's yeah. what our Lord said. I didn't say that. Yeah, <laughs> our Lord right. made it very clear. So there's no relief. For the person who has not trusted the Lord as Savior, uh, I would suspect it's not as severe as it would be in Gehenna, but certainly there's an intermediate stage where there are consequences for the decisions that we make here on earth. We must not trifle with life, and we must not trifle with salvation.
0: It has tremendous consequences for now and for eternity. While well, we're talking about death and where where do souls go, where do people go after they die, what happens, Pastor, to the child or the unborn child when they pass away, according to Scripture?
1: My own view on this matter is that the grace of God and the the atonement of Christ would cover those people who have not had a, reached this age of accountability. I mean, we only, we are sinners when we reach a point where we know right from wrong and we violate that is called transgression. So I do believe that the blood of Christ and the grace of God covers those who die before they reach the age where they are conscious of what sin is. That's my view. David, uh, when David's child of adultery was Mm -hmm. born and he died, David said, I will go to him, right? And David didn't mean I'm going to the grave. He mean where my son is, that's exactly where I'm going to go, see? And that gives us hope. For those, and that is where the slaughter of abortion. uh, It's it's painful to think that we've become uh, we have legalized murder, and we can create such violence against
0: those children. But, um, yes. Pastor, we have a caller from Piccadilly, Antigua. Thank you for calling, and go ahead quickly with your question, please. Uh, good evening, brothers. How are you doing?
2: Fine. Thank you, sir.
0: Okay. Um, just a quick question. Sure. Uh, in
2: reference to um, Jesus telling, telling the thief, uh, today thou shalt be with me in paradise.
1: Uh-huh.
2: No, if he says that today thou shalt be with me in paradise,
1: uh-huh.
2: um, doesn't paradise mean that he's that they're that they'll be in Abraham's bosom, because then because then um, he would have died, uh-huh. and then as we um, um, I don't remember which one of the gospels,
0: mm-hmm.
2: but according to one of the gospels, it says that um, um, after his resurrection, the the rest of the. Um, the saints arose with him. Yeah, yeah, I, I remember into, that. Yeah. Into, into, into glory. Yeah. So, my question is: is paradise, would paradise be heaven, or is paradise, um,
1: well, let me put it this way: If you go into uh, Corinthians chapter 12, I think it's Second Corinthians chapter 12, when Paul had an experience where I think he was—it's believed that he was at Lystra where he was stoned, and uh, Paul said he was taken up to the third heaven. Do you remember that? Yes. Yeah, right. He said he was received into paradise. So, paradise is the third heaven. There's no doubt about that because the, the same word the third I was caught up to the third heaven, and then it said I was caught up into paradise. So, the, the synonym for paradise is the third
2: heaven. Okay. All right. All right. Um, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not I, I'll, I'll look at it. Um, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I mean, we've had discussions about this before. Yeah. Um, 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 in other, um, Forum, uh-huh. but um, I, I, I guess it's out there. And, and,
1: and yeah, we can't speak definitively on it. It's a matter of interpretation. we are trying to be consistent with Scripture, mm-hmm. but the fact is that um, within the three days when our Lord was um, when he was crucified, um, the Bible taught that it would not lead my soul in Hades. He went right. to Hades, right. and right. if you read uh, if you read Ephesians, I think it's chapter two or three, it talks about He leading captivity captive, and right. that's why I believe that. He went there, and he took the saints that were there waiting. Remember that a lot of things could not have been done until the sacrifice of Christ had been fully fully been done. As a matter of yeah. fact, God had put our sins in escrow until Christ had done, then he wiped away our sins. He just covered, but he never wiped them away. So it's believed that when he died and he fully completed the redemptive work, it is then that he took those that belonged to him and took them with him to paradise, which is the third heaven, out of the, 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 the Hades, that that's the that's the interpretation generally speaking, but okay. if you want to hold on that it is uh, the same as uh, I I really wouldn't dispute with you I wouldn't fret with you about that. All I'm concerned about the people understand that death is not cessation and that we're going somewhere. Okay, that is my great concern, and I think that'll be your concern as well. Yes,
2: yes, yes. And, and the only, the only issue is because he said that today, right? today those shall be remained. All right. Uh Right. Um. Another question. Sure um we've always had some have um um uh uh discussions about uh jesus preaching to the souls in hell Uh would that have been from adam coming right down to 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 his time that's something I need to
1: to probably deal with at some other time. But I I do believe that um, he went and um, speaks to his spirit in, in prison, and wow. I think there's those that I think that has to do with the, more with the flood, uh, those that were rebellious during that period of time, yeah. uh, to declare the fact that redemption had been paid. But again, you know that's a very difficult passage that mm-hmm. a lot of the interpretations are around it and and so on and so forth, mm-hmm. and there's still a lot of on clarity about the whole matter as to what specifically that has to deal with. Uh, And I would like to uh, probably tackle that another time, if you don't mind. uh, Because I I, I remember it's been raised before, and I did some research on it, but I'm a little bit, uh, don't remember all that uh, I studied there, and I would like to do a little bit more study on it, and then maybe come back to it, and uh, maybe we can discuss it some greater length. Would that be possible? Okay, no problem, no problem. I appreciate appreciate that so much.
0: Is there a particular Um, passage that that uh, question originates out of? Peter. Peter. Yeah. Okay. Yes, sir, you were saying something else.
2: Um, did you get a chance to look at that um, that, that uh, document?
1: No, okay. I'll tell you why, and I want to explain that. I want to start the program to explain that. I am moving. Uh, I've been trying to get a house for the last two years. Okay. Finally okay. got one, and believe it or not, I, I think you would know after I've been here 70 years, you collect so much junk. <laughs> <laughs> I've tried to get everything, uh, and then I discovered that some things needed some work done because termites had gotten into certain items i had to do oh man it's a, a mess okay. so i didn't get a chance to read it, but i wanted to start the program i apologize because i am going okay. to check it out for you
2: okay i mean i'm enjoying the program thank you
0: sir god bless yes right. thank you very much for the call we appreciate it keep listening keep encouraging others to tune in and to call in with their questions or to send them in via whatsapp or text to send your question via WhatsApp or text, the number is one 782 1454 If you'd like to call and be put live on the air, phone line is open. And then phone line is 268-462-7420. We have 40 minutes left in the program. So go ahead and send your question or topic or thoughts in. Uh, Pastor... Yeah, let me just say something. I appreciate so much what the gentleman just said because
1: the the thought that that um the fact that today you're going to be with me in paradise, now remember that Christ is, is dying, he's gonna die and he's gonna take the, the, the um the thief on the cross. That in a law should dash to any idea that you cease to exist. You you follow what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. You're going with me in paradise. No, you you're not going to the grave. That's your physical body, but today you're going to be with me in paradise. So that's showing you very clearly there's a distinction between phys- the physical death and the actual fact that the person, the personality, the character, the real you, the real me, the spiritual part of me goes somewhere. So I think that that helps a lot. too because I had that to to be to be brought up uh, during the during the program, but I appreciate the the um, person bringing it up for to, to us tonight.
0: Uh, do you have anything else you want to mention on Sheol and Hades Gehenna? No,
1: I just think that people need to make the distinction between uh, Hades and, and Gehenna, and I think that they need to understand that the the synonymous word in the in the Hebrew language the word Sheol, and just in the Old Testament when people died they went to Sheol. It, it, the, the body, the word for grave, is separate than the word Sheol, and then of course in the New Testament you find that that word. Is used for that what you have in the Old Testament sheol when you do the translation, and like when it's quoted in the New Testament, the word there is hades is given hades that's why we get the equivalent words there,
0: and hades and sheol that was for the wicked for the unsaved, yeah, a place of torment, yeah, so we are conscious after death, absolutely uh
1: conscious, and by the way, there are hints of this in the Old Testament as well if you would um the not writer would want to person who's listening uh, isaiah chapter fourteen verse nine ezekiel chapter thirty two verse twenty one uh clearly in one case it's talking about the king of Babylon going down into hades into sheol, and the description there even though he's using poetic language he's teaching something is that the those already there are waiting to for him to come uh you find the same thing in ezekiel chapter thirty two verse two the king of Egypt is going to be judged, and he's going down into, she, uh, into Sheol. And the, the prophet uh, describes it uh, in language that those who are there are surprised that he's coming. He's such a great, powerful king, but he's coming down with them. Uh, however you look at that, there, there are hints in those verses that there are entities in uh, Sheol awaiting those who are coming. So that's a hint in itself, but then we come to the New Testament, as I said, where you get fuller knowledge through Christ and his teaching in Luke chapter 16. Uh, I cannot emphasize too much, uh, Brother Nathan, that you cannot build any doctrine on the Old Testament without the light of the New Testament. What about uh, the doctrine of sin? Well, even that, by the way, you have greater understanding of sin because of the light of the New Testament. Like Paul, for example, take the law, what's mm. the purpose of the law? For the, you, you know, people think for long law, like law can save, law can save, it so, the, it, but it took Paul to write and expound on that to explain why the law came in, what was the purpose of the law. So see? what is the purpose of the law? <laughs> well, the purpose of the law is to make sin more exceedingly sinful, okay. uh, is also to create guilt that all the world may become guilty before God, and, and that the law. And then, of course, it's a schoolmaster to lead us to Christ. That's the purpose of the law. Uh, uh so it was never a means of salvation. It was always a means, an instrument to bring people to faith and to bring a man to the point where he feels totally hopeless and what I mean by that is well, if this is what God requires of me, I can never ever come up to that standard at the point where you give up almost totally exasperated that god's requirements are too high, then you see the cross. And then you understand that that's why God wanted you to come to that point so you can see that you need Christ as your Savior. That's the biblical teaching. But again, it took the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans to do a great exposition in the book of Galatians to explain all of these matters and fit them in very properly for us.
0: Pastor, is there a difference? If I'm understanding you right, you're saying that our souls are immortal. Our souls will live forever. So is there a difference between life in immortality? Yeah, this is where...
1: By, oh, by the way, um, I should have said this as well. The, 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 you know, the people say, well, your soul sleep. That is a misnomer. There's no such word in the Bible of soul sleep. The body sleeps. Every time you have a reference to the idea of sleeping and death, it's the body that's sleeping. It's not the soul that is sleeping. So, but again, because the Adventists in particular, they see the soul as the person, the body, You can't separate the body from the soul. So when the body dies, the soul dies. They don't make a distinction between the soul and the the, the physical person. But um, clearly, there is a distinction in the Scriptures in that regard. But if you don't make that distinction, you'll always end up uh, holding to a different view. But anytime you see the word sleep in the New Testament, uh, but those that sleep in Christ or those that, you know, many of you are weak and some of you sleep. It, it simply means that you're in the grave. The, the body's in the grave. It's not saying that the soul is sleeping it's talking about the body. Uh, and I think you need to make that distinction. And you
0: were asking me something a moment ago. Um, yeah. I was asking about the difference between immor- immorality. Immortality. Immortality. Big difference in those two words. And... and uh, uh, life or spiritual life, but, but before you go there, let sure. me let me ask you this: What happens to the believer uh-huh. in today's day and age, today's dispensation, when he dies, when his physical body dies? What happens? Well, when the believer dies
1: today, uh, we have two great passages that tell us very clearly what happens. If you read uh, Philippians chapter one verse twenty three, uh Nathan you'll see uh there's great clarity there and I would
0: look for the one in second Corinthians chapter five. Philippians chapter one verse twenty three yeah. says, For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better.
1: Uh, clearly. Paul is wanting to leave, he wants to depart, and where's he's gonna to depart to, to be, be with Christ. Christ. So he's that's his desire. And I think I understand that more and more as I get older that you your body begins to tire you uh, begin to have all kinds of issues and you have this craving almost that you wish it could be over and to be with Christ but then Paul goes on to say that necessity requires that he stays there so he can minister to these uh, believers now here's a question Paul is alive uh, Paul is talking about his death. You read the passage clearly, and he said to depart is far better. Now, if there was cessation of existence, how can cessation is going to be better than life itself? And if if all Paul had to look forward to is that he's going to die,
0: he's going to remain in the grave unconscious until the resurrection, and he's still waiting. But wouldn't unconsciousness be better than the persecution he was suffering? Was that? Wouldn't the unconsciousness or soul sleep? Wouldn't uh-huh. that be better than the persecution he was suffering? But
1: in the case of the, if, in the case of the Philippians, the suffering is not something that Paul is worried about.
0: He's rejoicing. He's in rejoicing yeah. the
1: fact that he's, 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 he. As a matter of fact, if you read the book of uh, Philippians, the book where Paul is in prison and he's going through all of these tra- tragedies, and even people are abusing the ministry cause Paul problems, yet Paul is rejoicing, that's a, a marvelous book, read it, how many times rejoice, 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 so that's not the issue. What Paul wanted to do is that Paul wanted to be used to edify and to mature the believers and to give his life in service to them. That's the thing that is keeping Paul from wanting to depart. But my point is this, if when you die you're going to cease an existence, I don't see how that is any benefit of a person than actually enjoying life itself. But to Paul, uh, the real value of g- departing was to be with Christ. The other passage, uh, Nathan, is uh, Second Corinthians chapter five, verse six to eight. Would you read that, please? Yep. Second Corinthians chapter, chapter five, five, verse
0: six to eight. All right. Here we go. For God, who commended the light to shine out of the darkness, hath shined in our hearts. You go in Second Corinthians chapter five. Second Sorry, I was four. Chapter four. Yeah. Yep. Second Corinthians chapter five, six to eight. Therefore. We are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Could there be any verse clearer than that? Mm, Pretty straightforward. I
1: mean, very, very straightforward. But again, here's a problem. When you've already built your theology, that there's something called soul sleep. You come to pass like this now, what you gotta do, you gotta do a lot of twisting yeah. and contorting the scripture to fit in with the theology that you've embraced. And that's the problem with those who hold to these positions. I found the most difficult thing for anybody to do is to change their faith, uh, to move from their religion when they realize that their religion is wrong. It's like, this is something i believe all my life. How in the world can I surrender this? But you surrender it for truth. When you find truth, you are willing to sell anything, basically, to find truth and to embrace truth, but I find that that's a difficulty with people who remain in cultic groups, even though they know that the teaching is wrong when you compare it with Scripture. Yet they are prefer uh, seem to willing to close their eyes to these kind of passages of Scripture that speak so plainly uh, and so transparently on these matters.
0: You're listening to That's Truth. The time across the Eastern Caribbean is eight thirty on a Tuesday evening. We have. 28 minutes left in the program. Go ahead and give us a call. Phone number is one 462 7420 or if you'd like to WhatsApp or text your question, you can send it to 1-268-782-1454 It's been a couple of weeks since I encouraged you to invite others to listen. If you haven't invited someone to listen to That's Truth and to interact with us, Go ahead and send a WhatsApp or a text. I realize we're more than halfway through the program for tonight, but encourage them to tune in tonight and next Tuesday and the Tuesday after. And Lord willing, until the rapture happens, we'll be here answering your questions. Until <laughs> the rapture happens or the Lord takes us home, Pastor. Yeah. Well, let
1: me show you something else, Nathan. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter five, uh, chapter 12. Okay. Um, this is an interesting passage as well. I'm, I'm trying to... Sh- show clearly that there's a difference between the body and the real person. What verse? Second uh, Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1 to 4. Would Kay. you like to read that?
0: Yeah. It is not expedient for me, doubtless to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago. Where in the whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth, such an one caught up to the third heaven, and I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth, how that he was caught up into paradise and he heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to other. Yeah. Here's the Apostle
1: Paul having an experience. Now, a lot of people link this with when Paul was ministering at Lystra. You remember it was stone, and they thought he was dead, and uh, they wanted to say that Paul was Mercury and Barnabas was Jupiter. But this is an experience that Paul has. Notice it's a, it's a, it's a, he's taken up to the third heaven and he, he seemed to be not too sure whether or not it's in his body or out of his body. But clearly there's a the, the idea there is that there is a spiritual part to, to him. He's distinguishing his his real Paul from his body. And that's where I say when people confuse the body with the soul is where the confusion comes in. You can have the the true person.
0: Yes, go ahead. Pastor we have a caller from Antigua uh Codrington. Thank you for calling and go ahead quickly with your question, please. Yeah. well,
3: um, uh, I was one wind. Um When you said something about um, your, your soul go to heaven with the Lord if you are right, or something like that, mm. I um, want to put word a question because the last time I talked about this, I remember I got a dream. I was suffocated in the hospital, and you tell me that can be I'm um, so right with the with the dream. So I'll explain to you. Uh-huh. So tonight I heard you say that when you're. Um, just will die, just to go to heaven if you are righteous. Yeah. And I remember that um, when I in the gym, I heard, heard a voice sound like the Lord and uh-huh. he said, You're in Satan, you're in heaven. Uh-huh. So I just want to remind you all if you remember. Yeah, yeah I
1: remember that. Let me ask you a question though. You're a Christian?
3: Me? Yeah.
1: Okay. Well, that that's possible. You could have that kind of experience. There, there, even people who are not. Um, believers who had some very unusual experiences. My problem with experiences is that if the experiences uh, fall in line with Scripture, I don't have a problem. It's when the experience seemed to go contrary to Scripture. But it's possible that you could have had some experience and the Lord could have spoken to you in different ways. I don't. I don't doubt. I don't dispute that. I only dispute it with people when they make claims and it doesn't align with scripture. But God can speak to you in, in many ways. God can give you. I've had dreams already, uh, to be very honest with you, uh, that that they've assured me that you know I'm okay. <laughs> um, but I don't give too much weight to those kind of things. It's only when there's a contrary to Scripture that I, I, I get concerned about, because the Word of God is the truth that God has given to us, and He's not going to give you any experience that is contrary to the Word. Um, so I think that's where we would, we would uh, agree or differ. It has to do with the experience aligns with Scripture. In your case, I see nothing wrong, and God is showing you that you know, you're in good hands. You're a
0: believer. I don't have the problem with huh? that, Pastor. Let me just ask this: What is it that makes sure that we are righteous? What is it that we know we are a Christian? You asking me? Yeah. Oh, well. Man has no righteousness in its own. I think the
1: Bible makes that quite quite clear. And when it comes to redemption, this imputed righteousness of Christ that goes to the believer, when a person puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, God not only takes their sin and forgives their sins, but God imputes the righteousness of Christ to the believer's account. So that's the righteousness that God looks for. Paul talks about this in Philippians, not having my own righteousness. But having a righteous riches by faith in jesus christ that's the righteousness that makes us right before god so it's not by works oh no it's not by works um the bible makes even our righteousness is filthy rags, and um no matter how good what we do we don't earn heaven we don't merit heaven we get to heaven by faith and trust in jesus christ codrington did that answer
0: your question
3: well um i just want to say, um, yes, but I um, just want to remind you that, that I, I did call about the same dream ago a long time, and you uh-huh. tell me that, that I can be right with what I'm saying. So,
1: I can't uh, remember telling you, you know, I think I I think um, if I was sure that you, I mean, if you told me you were Christian, I don't have the time if you told me you were a believer, a Christian in Christ. Uh, if you did, I would have to apologize, but um, I... Mm-hmm. I th- the rec- the, what I recall is that the person I spoke to, I, when I asked if they were a believer, born-again believer, I don't think the person told me yes. That's when I told them, well, you know, clearly that you, all is not well with the person who is not saved. But if you are saved, born-again believer, all is well. And if God yes. confirms that to you in a dream I or whatever, remember. I'm not going to dispute that.
3: I remember. I remember that now. Yes. Yeah. So, um, the picture, so I see, I see the faith, like, um, you know, the picture where they have... Um, in the Bible with Jesus Christ and stuff. Uh-huh. I see that picture like that. Yeah. And the, the colour of his garments, he have a um a kind of bluish garment with the same picture where I have yeah. in my bedroom with um Hail Mary. Uh-huh. And they have the same thing on my shirt, my Roman church, the same colour at the stone. Yeah. The same the same picture what I saw. Yeah. You know?
1: But but can I make I a li- to- Yeah, but can I make one other point here? Mm-hmm. Uh, just remember that the picture that we have of jesus is just the uh, artist's uh mm-hmm. imagination in other words um that's just a, a european uh, picture of jesus so i just want you to know that that's not the real jesus the real jesus is I, not a I european know, I know. okay
3: Nothing okay is the 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 it, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I know. but you told me you you told me you're born again believer
3: yeah I'm, i am
1: okay well i i uh i'm glad that you're born again and I'm glad that the Lord has confirmed that you're okay. All I would say to you keep on serving him and find out what your purpose is down here on planet Earth and go after it. I would serve him. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so well, much I'm, for calling.
3: Yeah, I'm sitting with the Catholic church still. Though, okay. What's that? I'm sitting, I'm staying with the Catholic church still. So okay. have a good night.
0: Okay, sir. Right. God bless. Thank you for calling, Codrington. Just make sure that you're not putting your faith in a church, you're putting your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and what He has done and nothing else. And yeah. He does make a, a difference in our life when we accept Him as Christ and Savior. He makes most, us a new creation. Most definitely.
1: All, all, all I would say to Mr. Codrington, I don't know the gentleman, but I would say to you that get into the Word and allow the Word to, to speak to you and whether it's the Baptist Church or the Lutheran Church or the Catholic Church or the Methodist Church, find the Church that aligns with Scripture. That's all I would say to you. I'm not trying to pull you away from um, you, you, where you're going, but I would say to you, just find the Church that aligns with Scripture. What matters is not the Church. What matters is that the truth that the Church preaches. That's the important issue.
0: Pastor, we have a WhatsApp question that has come in during that phone call. This is from a listener in Antigua. Good night and God's richest blessings. If the soul goes back to God, why then is there a need for a bodily resurrection? Just curious. Well, remember that man,
1: humanity, uh, it's the human part of man, the material part of man, the physical part of man, is part of our humanity. It's not only God redeeming the the spirit and the soul. He's God's going to redeem the body. Read Romans chapter eight, uh, and it talks about that very clearly. So He's going to redeem the body. But by the way, that's why there's a confusion between eternal life and immortality. Some people say only God got immortality, so nobody nobody is going to immortality. Only refers to the body. Uh, and, and and people don't understand that. That is why we're going to have an immortal body. Our body is not immortal now. It's mortal. It dies. But when our Lord comes back to uh, to take us to be with Him, and the believer is fully and completely redeemed, we are going to be given an immortal body. And that's why the difference between eternal life and immortality, eternal life has to do with a right relationship between you and God. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you now start a fresh, eternal relationship with God. That's eternal life. That's not the same with immortality. Immortality has to do with your body. One day, this body of yours is going to be redeemed so you're not going to have a redeemed uh, uh, eternal spirit you also have a immortal body that will not be corrupted people don't make that distinction as a result they say that the bible said that only in god and god dwell in mortality he alone that's true at this point in time because our body is mortal but one day we will have share in that mortality as a matter of fact it's interesting that paul makes this distinction in some verses of scripture uh, Nathan, if you would like to read with me, uh, read for me, please. Second um, Timothy chapter one verse ten.
0: 2 Timothy chapter
1: one verse ten.
0: All right. Second Timothy chapter one and verse 10. verse ten says, "But is now made manifest by the appearing of our Lord of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death." And it hath brought life and immortality Two things, to light. He's brought eternal
1: life, but he's also brought the idea that this body will be immortal. See, mm. uh, when Adam sinned, uh, people say, "Well, you know, if he'd uh, that only if he'd eaten the fruit, he would live forever." But that related to his mortal body. It didn't relate to the spirit. Man's spirit is eternal, but it's the body that is going to be redeemed. So, it's not just my spirit and my soul that's going to be redeemed, man in his totality. And by the way, this is contrary to a lot of the Greek philosophy who saw the body as a prison and the spirit need to be liberated. Mm-hmm. So, the Greeks, that's why they mocked when Paul talked about resurrection. You remember the Stoics in the Epicureans in chapter seventy of Acts when Paul started to, started to mock Paul, We don't need a body, the body is a is a cage it keeps you. We need our spirit to be liberated. But the Bible teaches that the body is going to be redeemed, just like Christ was raised from the dead with a body.
0: We're going to have a body like unto his own, which is an immortal body. Here's a, another WhatsApp question from Antigua that follows right in line with that. Often I hear people say that when they get to heaven, the damaged earthly body will become perfect. Is this true? And I wonder because Christ visited Thomas after his death and resurrection. Christ told Thomas to see and put his finger in the wounds he received on the cross. I, I, I My view on that
1: whole matter is that it— I think we'd be identifiable. Now, whether or not we'll have an improvement, maybe some cosmetics done to fill in the, <laughs> the, the, the potholes, et cetera, et cetera, and maybe the teeth in, in good order, the, yeah. you know. I do feel from in that sense, but I, don't think, I do think that we'd be recognizable. But I do feel that there would not be those, um, like, there'd be no pain, uh, there'd, be, there'd be no death. But um, I think we'd be recognizable, and I'm not too sure. I think we'd just be an improvement, but we'd still be recognizable. So maybe we might not have the wrinkles, uh, we might not have the 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 all the different skin tones because the sun bleaching whatever it is, uh, it would be perfected. But I think we would be pretty much who we are, and we would be identifiable. That is also seen, by the way, in the monk of transfiguration where. Um, Moses and Elijah, mm-hmm. they were recognizable even then. So I don't think we're going to lose our identity in terms of what we look like. It just be a improvement, a one hundred percent improvement in in, uh, but same, substantially the same features, only without the 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 effects of sin.
0: Why do you think that God didn't give us some of those answers in Scripture? What answers? I mean, as far as some of those details, because there's not a definitive, super definitive answer there. Well, I think
1: he's given us enough. Our problem is that we want all the details, and I think that that is hidden from us. Um, That is wrapped up in God's mystery. Uh, The Bible says those things that are revealed are for us and our children, but those things that do not really belong to God alone. And don't forget, I really think that in, in heaven, People talk about, you know, saying, and hallelujah, are we going to do that as well? But I really think uh, the capacity for increasing in knowledge, I think we'll be learning and learning and learning and learning and learning and learning. I just feel that that is one of the the biggest treasures in heaven that we'll be, you know. I don't like the idea of sitting down under a tree with a harp and, and just singing songs and just picking fruit. Yeah, uh, I, I, I want to know so much. I, I'm, I'm getting on in age, and I wish I was 20 or 30 years younger now that I can really do more and study more and read more and find out more. I have an inquisitive mind, and I think that, that one of the great joys of heaven is going to be having our intellect enlightened and our inquisitive nature, that we be able to probe into the depths of the mysteries of the past, and some of the things that we don't even understand now, we become very, very clear. So it's
0: not going to be boring for sure. I can guarantee that. (laughs) So if God gives us a perfect body in heaven, wouldn't we have unlimited knowledge? No, because we're not God. Okay. And that's the myth. That's the myth of
1: the devil saying to Eve, you know, you'll be gods. We will never be God. We like God, but we'll never have an infinite knowledge. Even the angels, by the way, uh, we read in Ephesians, are being instructed because they too are growing in knowledge. And Peter says that they look into these things to find out what time the Lord made that the Messiah would come. They have an interest in these kind of things. So even the angelic beings in heaven are being instructed to the church, according to Paul in Ephesians.
0: You were referencing the difference between eternal life and immortality. Do you have anything else you'd like to add on that?
1: No, I just think that that is a crucial point that need to be made uh because the part of the reason why people have a problem um uh about uh, um, the soul being eternal and it will is immortal. Uh, they come to the passage where Paul said, in God alone dwells immortality. And they subsume that because that is said that, it has reference to the Spirit. But immortality in the Bible is promised always in connection with the body, that we're going to have an incorruptible body. That's the distinction I want to make, that the eternal life has to do with a relationship with God that will continue in all eternity. That's what eternal life You know, This is life that you may know the... The only true God in Jesus Christ. That 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 that's, well, eternal life is basically is creating a relationship between you and God. That's an eternal relationship. But the body is in the grave when we die. That body needs to be made immortal, so that you have an eternal spirit and an immortal body. That is a distinction that needs to be made, and I think it's important to to draw that distinction.
0: We have just under ten minutes left in the program. If you have a question, go ahead and send it in or call in with your question. The phone number to call in is 268-462-7420. Or if you would like to WhatsApp or text your question, you can send it to 268-782-1454. Thank you to those who have already been interacting with us on the program tonight. And you can also, if you're joining us on Facebook Live, you can send your question or your thought as a comment, and it'll get passed along to Pastor Murphy. I wonder if we could just uh,
1: conclude um, the program tonight by looking at some passages in the Bible that makes this real distinction because the soul sleep thing, again, is, is basically believed in because they don't make a distinction between the body and the soul and because they two when one dies all die both together but i think it's important to make the, the distinction between the physical and the spiritual nature look at uh, what our lord said in matthew uh, he himself taught us very clearly that there's a distinction between the body and the soul uh, matthew chapter 10 verse 28 and then luke chapter i'm going to look for the one in luke luke chapter 8 you look for the one in matthew chapter
0: 10 verse 28 matthew 10:28 says and fear not them which kill the body but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him, which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. That's right. pretty clear.
1: Very, very, very clear. Right? Because the body, man can kill the body. Man can. And, and I mean, now, if the body and the soul were the same, when man killed the body, the soul would die. Yeah. But the Bible said that's not so. Also in Luke chapter eight, um, verse number fifty-five. Um, let me read that for you. Uh, Luke chapter 8 verse 55 yeah and this had to do with the maid and her spirit came again and she rose straightway and he commanded to give her meat this is when our Lord raised somebody from the dead but notice that the spirit came again the spirit had left
0: interesting yeah
1: you see spirit came again and she revived because and you see what i'm saying he's making between she was dead her physical body is there her spirit had left Mm -hmm. when he resurrected her and he healed her her spirit comes back and now she's alive again so clearly it's between the body and the spirit yeah
0: pastor we have nathan calling from nevis good evening nathan and go ahead with your question good evening good evening sir i would like to
2: know Something about uh, Daniel chapter seven. We talk about the saints,
1: uh-huh.
2: and Revelation chapter thirteen also talk about the saints. I would like to know if these are the same people. One understand. Yeah, I, I wish I could uh, go to the passage
1: directly, but generally speaking, in in uh, I'm speaking under correction until I look at it later. You said Daniel chapter seven and and Revelation chapter thirteen. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I am not too sure. Is Daniel chapter 7, the saints normally prefer... In verse that c- 21 and 22. In Daniel I chapter 20, 21 and 22? Yes. Okay, we might have to look. Can you look at that for me? Quickly? Yeah. Yep, Daniel chapter 7, verse
0: 21, verse 22. Daniel chapter seven, twenty-one and 22 says, I beheld... And the same horn made war with the saints and prevailed against them until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given to the saints of the Most High. And the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. Okay. This has to
1: do with the revelation um, in connection with the Antichrist during the Tribulation period. This is talking about the time where the little horn, which is the Antichrist, he is going to persecute the believers, in particular the Jewish people, and those who come to faith. Remember the book of Revelation, a great multitude that no man can number will come out of the tribulation period. So the saints here is referring to those on planet Earth during the tribulation period when the Antichrist, the little horn in Daniel begins to persecute the Jews and persecute those who protect the Jews during this period of time. Uh, Revelation chapter 13,
0: verse seven. verse 7, and that says... And it was given unto him to make war with the saints, and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. Same thing.
1: Uh, Daniel chapter 7, verse uh, 21 to 22 has to do with the little horn. If you read it, that little horn is coming out of the Roman Empire. And the Antichrist in Chapter 13, you'll find that he is one coming out of the earth and out of the sea. It's the same character, but fuller revelation given in 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 Revelations. And uh, clearly the saints there are the same group of people that will be conquered during the period of the Antichrist. Okay. You're not going to be there, brother, because you'll be raptured.
2: <laughs> I uh, will him instantly. live. Uh, this would be anybody of the church no the church is not going to be the church is raptured before the well
1: the the tribulation takes place yeah before the antichrist comes to correct uh if you you if you uh study revelation you'll find that in chapter two and three the church is mentioned you don't find this mentioned from verse chapter four to verse to chapter 19 which has to do the tribulation the only other time it's mentioned in the book of Revelation is the last chapter, when a call is given to those who, whosoever will let them come. And mm-hmm. the church and the bride say, Come. See, mm-hmm. that's the only time. But between chapters 4 and 19, you don't find one mention of the church. And if you look at chapter 3 and chapter 4, after John has given the message to chap- uh, the churches in chapter 2 and 3, the seven churches, the next thing that says that John was taken up into heaven. I think that is a, a symbol of what will take place of the church being raptured but you don't find the church in Revelation chapter 4 to chapter 19 so we will not be going through the tribulation period also Paul tells us that the church was not appointed to wrath so the saints there are referring to those who the Jews who are saved during the tribulation period and those who are saved as a result of their evangelistic ministry Um, in chapter 7 you find that God takes uh... 12,000 from each tribe, 144,000. These are not Jehovah's Witnesses. These are the Jews that are going to be saved during the tribulation period, and they will perform the work of evangelism. Remember in Revelation it says about the gospel of the kingdom will preach in all the nations? That is what they will be doing, carrying the gospel to the ends of the world, and people, a great multitude, will come to faith during the tribulation period. Okay.
2: Thank you. very much. Go ahead, Nathan. In Revelation also... um, Yeah. It says, Blessed are those who die in the Lord from here on in, from henceforth. Uh-huh. Now, and these are not the church either. What, what verse is that? In chapter 14. No,
1: chapter 14. no. That, that, um, again, you don't find that the reference is made to the church at all in the book of Revelations from chapter 14. You don't find the word church. Uh, this is where we believe. The, the hope of the believer is not tribulation. The hope of the believer is to be rescued. That's our hope, that our Lord will return for us. Yep. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come and receive you again unto myself, that where I am, there you will be also. So we are going to be saved for the wrath to come, because we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You know, it's just like um, Enoch in the Old Testament, that he's an example of the rapture, that he was taken up, translated, and didn't see death. I think so. Uh, Elijah, I think, is also an, a very good example of what uh, what will take place. What you find in the Old Testament is a picture of what will actually happen. These are types, and I believe that Elisha and Elijah, and also you um, know, Enoch. Enoch. I think these are two biblical types of what would be involved in the, in the rapture that we will be translated and and, and uh, removed from planet Earth, and then God begins to deal with the Jew. If you read also um, Romans. Uh, 9, 10, and 11, you find God's program for the Jews that we Gentiles have been grafted into God's plan. Uh, but the day is coming when the veil will be removed from the Jewish eyes, and then God's going to graft Israel into his program again. So when he's finished with the church and the church is raptured, then he brings Israel back into his plan, according to Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11. Thank you. Okay,
2: it's Revelation 14 and verse 13, uh-huh. where it says, "Blessed are the they that lie in the Lord from
1: henceforth." Uh-huh. Yeah, that, that that's referring to those that die during the tribulation period, but that's not the church. Then that's part of those who will die during the church is going to be raptured before the tribulation starts. the, the tribulation period is a period of seven years, Daniel chapter nine, uh, which has to do with the Jews. It's called the time of Jacob's trouble. The church is going to be raptured. That's why if you don't understand the role that Israel will play in the end time, and you don't have a place for Israel in your theology or in your eschatology, you'll always end up in total confusion start what the book of Revelation is all about. And that's why it's important to understand that God is not finished with the nation Israel. In 1948, when she returned, as he had promised that he would bring her back from all over the world, he began a work there, but she comes back in unbelief. And then she is going to be chastened and brought to faith. And Paul says in, in Romans chapter 11, the time is coming when all Israel will be saved. We you read the book of Revelation; you'll discover that two-thirds of Israel is going to be, Jews are going to be killed. One-third are going to be saved.
0: Nathan, thank you very much for the call. We are running out of time on the program tonight. But we appreciate you calling in, and have a blessed night. Pastor, we have a WhatsApp question that came in, and we've got one minute left in the program. It says, Good night and God's richest blessings. Our Lord and Savior Jesus referenced that we are going to be like angels when we are resurrected or transfigured at the time of his second coming. This was a test question by the Pharisees to him. Is that the form we would be like after such or the same glorified body as our Lord? Well, the point that he made there in the passage has to do with our sexuality.
1: You remember the guy was trying to get in trap as far as marriage. Uh, marriage, yeah. yeah. You know, a guy died and his brother married and brother died. Somebody married he got seven wives. Now when in the resurrection, who's she going to be? Our Lord used that to teach that we can be like angels in the sense that we're non-sexual beings. We will not have children in heaven. We will not have marital relations in heaven. That's what was t- being taught in that passage.
0: We've been discussing soul sleep. We've been discussing what happens to the believer as he dies uh, whether it was before the time of Christ or whether it is in this present dispensation Pastor just to be real clear very briefly what happens to the believer when he dies well Paul takes it very clear he makes it very clear he said absent from the body is to be present with the
1: Lord when a believer dies he goes directly to be with the Lord there's no soul sleep there's no intermediary we go directly into his presence what better place to
0: be amen Thanks for listening to That's Truth tonight. Thanks for interacting with us. And be sure you encourage others to tune in. Be sure that you tune in next Tuesday evening here on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. Stay tuned to CRL. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's Truth.